Yes, there be dragons. Our text this morning is Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. We pray that you'd open our eyes to the mysteries of your word, that we might see the wonders of your word, hear it, and do it. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My kids used to enjoy watching the film, How to Train Your Dragon. In the film, dragons constantly attack a Viking village for which they have become a scourge. But one of the youngest and smallest Vikings named Hiccup captures and tames a dragon with whom he eventually defeats and tames all the dragons. This morning in the book of Acts, we'll meet a dragon. This dragon who is hell-bent on attacking God's people and being a scourge to the body of Christ. But a great king will intervene and we'll learn from him how to tame a dragon. Go ahead and open up your Bibles. Acts chapter 9, we're going to begin in verse 1. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And it says there in Acts 9, 1, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul is a dragon attacking the saints. In fact, we see in the chapter right before this, in chapter 8, in verse 3, it says, But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. He was present of and heartily approved of the murder of the deacon Stephen. He went around Jerusalem, finding all those who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, took away their goods, threw them in prison, and now he's going outside of Jerusalem. He's heading to the ends of the earth to bring destruction. Now, I'm unsure of whether this is even legal or not. He's living in the Roman province of Judea. He's going to another province, Syria, where Damascus is, and he's carrying out his own authority and punishment on behalf of religious leaders, not under Roman law. Verse 3, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The dragon comes all the way to Damascus. It's one of the oldest cities in the world. It's also the traditional site where Cain killed Abel. So what can a dragon do against the one who said, let there be light? Cat's out of the bag. I'm sure all of you know who's saying these words here. Who's the one that's saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is the same one as the second person of the triune God, who we're told in the book of John, through him all things were made, who said at the beginning, let there be light before there was a sun. Before there was a moon, before there were stars, God said, let there be light. And what was that light? It was a light that emanated forth from God himself. So the question that I have here is what can a dragon do against one who says, let there be light? In Acts 26 and verse 13, the Saul who becomes the apostle Paul recounts what happened. He says, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. Of course, it was the glorious light of God that shined forth. And what happens to him is what would happen to anybody if they weren't 
put to death immediately by that, that we'd be blinded. And whether the dragon wants to or not, he falls to the ground and hears the voice of the Lord. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Do you notice that? Why are you persecuting me? Jesus is the head. The people of God are the body. Jesus the head, we're the body. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? If you think the church, the body of Christ, is disposable, if you think it's superfluous, your opinion is different than Jesus' opinion. Going into verse 5, and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Dragon, why are you persecuting me? Dragon, why are you persecuting my body? Me, why are you persecuting me? Friends, every careless insult against Christians, every judge and politician that oppresses the people of God, Every terrorist who kills a saint is attacking Jesus, and they will give an account. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. Jesus commands the broken dragon to do as he says, and this was all heard in the public space. Those who were with Saul heard the voice. It appears they might have seen some sort of light as well from the account that the Apostle Paul gives later. These things all happen in the public space. This isn't as though people are getting dreams and then writing it down and creating their own religion. The signs that Jesus did were out in the open in the Gospels. People saw it. Thousands and thousands of people saw the mighty acts of Jesus. And here as Jesus acts upon Saul, it's heard. There are witnesses. Going on to verse 8. Saul rose from the ground. And although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Dragons get cursed to go upon the ground as serpents. Remember the beginning? When the serpent comes to confront and to try to get Adam and Eve to sin, he comes to them, and we're told, in the form of the serpent. But one of the curses that goes forth is the serpent now crawls upon the ground and licks the dust of the earth. That means it didn't do that before. What's a large reptile that doesn't crawl on the ground. A dragon, a dragon. And so the dragon is cursed to be the serpent that crawls upon the ground. And we see that throughout Scripture in the Old and New Testament, these two themes are always coalescing with one another. The idea of a dragon and the idea of a serpent come together in the devil. And here we've got a dragon, just like in the beginning, a serpent who now has to crawl on the ground. He can't find out where he's at. He has to be led about. He's a blind one, like a little baby. This dragon walks in darkness, the darkness of death. It's as though he's dead. He doesn't eat. He can't see. He does this for three days. The very Jesus whom he was persecuting now replicates his tomb time with Saul. Three days He's now in a state like death. Going into verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at a house of Judas for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias 
come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Friends, do you ever think about the Gospels, and of course this isn't that hard to imagine, that there's all kinds of typological fulfillment, right? You look in the Gospels and you see Jesus doing acts, and by the way, if you haven't thought about this before, everything that Jesus does is fulfilling something in the Old Testament. Jesus, who's foreshadowed typologically in the Old Testament, is fulfilling those things in the New Testament and the Gospels. But I think a lot of times we're not used to looking for these same types of signs when we come to the book of Acts. But the book of Acts is the acts of Jesus through the body of Christ. Look at that, what we're looking at here, verses 10 through 12. Here we have a journey filled with symbolic reversals. We have a dragon that now follows the command of Christ. A dragon who in the beginning, as the devil, is always rebelling against God. But here, we have a dragon that now follows the command of Christ. Notice what else we have. We have a Saul who follows the will of God. Saul was named after King Saul. King Saul who went off the rails and always did things his own way. Who wouldn't listen to the prophet of God. Who actually went out and persecuted the people of God. We also have a faithful Ananias here. Unlike the Ananias we see in Acts chapter 5, who lied to the Holy Spirit, who held back a portion of money, lied to the church, and so God struck that Ananias and his wife dead. But here we have a faithful Ananias who is pivotal. Notice as well the crooked way that Saul is on, the crooked path that he's taking to Damascus to go out and persecute people of God, to go out and if he had his chance to kill the people of God, but here we've got the crooked way which becomes the straight street. And finally, we have a house of a trustworthy Judas, unlike Judas Iscariot, and now his house becomes a house of redemption. Going on to 13, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. In essence, what Ananias is saying is, Lord, this dragon has great powers of evil. There are great dragons outside this building that have powers of evil. Some of them have the power over your job. Some of them have the power over your life in the virtual space. They might dox you. Some of them have the power and authority of the government to come against the people of God. This dragon has great powers of evil, but friends, I want to say this. What are dragons before Jesus? What are dragons before Jesus? And the answer is, they are nothing at all. Now notice what Saul was trying to do. He was trying to bind people up and carry them off into prison. But what happens here? The binder of men has been bound by the strong man. And the strong man is Jesus. Can I hear an amen to that? Verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of of my name just as a serpent became an instrument of healing in the days of Moses you remember that story it's pretty cool how God does things he seems to like to take things that are evil and then he reverses them and then turns them into symbols of righteousness remember the people of God wandering in the wilderness they're always complaining they're always pointing out why does Moses have this authority we're not going to listen to him God brought us out here in the wilderness to die in one case, God sent poisonous snakes into the camp. 
and they're biting the people, and the people are dying. And so Moses sets up a bronze serpent on a pole, a serpent, just like the serpents that are coming into the camp and biting people and killing them. And everyone who looks upon that bronze serpent on the pole is healed. And Jesus said that it's him. Just as the serpent was lifted in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. God loves doing these kinds of reversals. God loves to take Adam who rebelled in the beginning and to send forth his son as the last Adam to bring redemption. So just as the serpent became an instrument of healing in the days of Moses as the bronze serpent, so this dragon serpent here will be God's instrument for the healing of the nations. Verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Ananias goes with his feet and lays on with his hands. He's the hands and feet of Jesus. The hands and feet of Jesus are you and I. The hands and feet of Jesus are you and I. Never forget that. Have you been hands and feet lately? Let your hands and feet invite and serve a meal to your churchless neighbors. Let your hands and feet make friends with Christians in far-off persecuted lands. Let your hands and feet carry you faithfully to church every single week. I know that school's coming to an end. Summer vacation's coming. We don't take vacation from church. I want to encourage you, if you're out of town, find a church. I think I've told this to you before, but when my kids were small, when we went on vacation, I would always first find a church, and then that's where we would go. And if the church was far away, then I would go far away to that church. But Christians don't take vacations from church. So go to church. Let your feet and your hands carry you to church wherever you are. Verse 18. And immediately... Something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food. He was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. Now, let's pull all this together here. Look what's going on. It's the third day. The third day. Saul's life now replicates the life of Jesus this dragon is now turned around as a symbol of righteousness. It's the third day, and what happens? Scales fell from his eyes. Scales fell from the dragon's eyes. Mammals don't have scales on their eyes. Reptiles have scales on their eyes. On the third day, scales fell from the dragon's eyes. Blindness is replaced by sight. The dragon has been tamed, and the dragon has been slain and resurrected, verse 20, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the Son of God. The dragon serpent has been crushed and killed, and somebody new rises from the dead, a dragon slayer. Friends, you and I are dragon slayers. Kids, you're called forth in your baptisms to be dragon slayers. And indeed, there are dragons out in this world. And now the dragon slayer is preaching Jesus and will head to the ends of the earth to spread the kingdom of God. Young Bashir Muhammad learned Islamic radicalism in an extremist madrasa or Islamic school. And when civil war broke out in Syria, 
he drifted into the ranks of the Nusra Front, a radical Al-Qaeda-backed militia. He was an enemy of all infidels, Yazidis, moderate Muslims, and Christians, whom he was hell-bent on slaughtering. He was a dragon. But seven years ago, somebody came looking for him and was heaven-bent on taming this dragon. It was Jesus. Now Mr. Muhammad is a church leader in an underground church in Istanbul, Turkey, that contains many whom he formerly considered enemies because Jesus knows how to tame dragons. This morning we've seen in the book of Acts that God does the impossible by saving dragons like the Apostle Paul. May we never forget that Jesus is a great king who is stronger than all of his enemies and knows how to tame a dragon. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us to know that Jesus is a dragon tamer and that we in him by the power of the Spirit are dragon slayers. Bless us to go forth into this week to go into the mighty battle that goes on in this age between the first and final coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And bless us to be dragon slayers. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.